Podcast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Mr. Biedney, you have discovered a fascinating guest for this week's episode. Can you tell us how this came to be? Well, hopefully everybody else will think he's fascinating too, not just me. But uh, yeah, serendipity is how I found this guy. Uh, I often go through YouTube looking for weird videos, partially for our Paracast TV thread on the Paracast forums, and also partially because I I don't really watch much TV, Gene, and, and instead I watch videos on YouTube because there's a lot more esoteric, bizarre things. make a long story short, in looking through some very specific topics that, well, let's just say it might surprise some of our listeners that... I would potentially even be interested in these topics. I happened upon a video of a little bit of a talk by this guy, Walter Starkey. And I'm listening to him, and I thought, you know, this guy sounds incredibly intelligent. Now, he really comes from the more religious side of the world, or at least that's what I thought, until I started researching him. And in doing that, Gene, it, it, it turns out that this guy is one fascinating cat. He really, the people he's known, the places he's been, and I, and I have to tell you, I, I read that he is like in his late 80s. Now, I'm looking at these videos of him supposedly recorded within the last few years, and the guy's supposed to be in his late 80s, and I'm looking at him going, there's just no way that this guy could be in his late 80s. He looks like he's in his like mid-60s or something. It, it just like blew my mind, and so the more I read about him, more I was fascinated by him. And like I said, Gene, some of the stuff that he talks about, well, you know who he reminded me of? He reminded me of Bernard Haish, Dr. Bernard Haish, who we had on the show, who a lot of our listeners really enjoyed, right? Astrophysicist who has this book, The God Theory, and is looking for sort of a synthesis of religion and science. At least that's how I understood it when I read his book. And it seemed to me that... Walter is coming at it from a slightly different angle. It's more like he's looking for the synthesis of religion and then science, but it's not quite that straightforward. And in listening to the, this little bit of video on, on him, in doing some research on him, some reading about him on the web, and his life story, I thought, now this guy, you want to talk about great stories. So in the same vein as we had our UFO uh, luminaries telling fascinating stories about John Keel. Let's have Walter come on and tell us not only fascinating stories about his life, and this guy, man, what a life he's had. I mean, really, really amazing, unique stuff. But in reading some of his work, I mean, this is a guy who talks about religion and then brings up metaphysics and then brings up quantum mechanics. And then Marlon Brando. You know, like, what, Marlon Brando? What does he have to do with any of this? Well, Walter, in his life, knew all of these really interesting people. This guy has lived more than a few lives in his lifetime. And I thought, this is a guy who never shows up on shows like ours. Never. I mean, I don't think the guy's ever... I don't think he's ever been on Coast to Coast. I could be wrong about that. But he certainly doesn't show up on any of the paranormal show's radars. And I thought, you know what, Gene? This is the kind of guy who we need to have on the Paracast. Well, it's unfortunate that actually some of the people that we talked to in our special John Keel Memorial episode, they don't show up on paranormal shows generally either. That's right. 
And I can tell you that, you know, Jerry Clark, how often does he come on the shows? We know Brad Steiger does. Jim Mosley seldom goes on those shows. Lauren Coleman, not so much. Kurt Southerly, who was an old and dear friend, never does those shows. Yeah. No, we're, you know, we have a, a unique little place here. So let's get right to it. Let's go talk to Walter. Absolutely. Coming up next on The Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You know, Neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies, and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is one and one Internet. One and one Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on one and one Internet to get online and stay online. Right now, one and one Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, one and one Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Walter Starkey, uh, like I was talking about in our little preamble, I happened to find you quite by accident. One of the very first words I read associated with your name was metaphysics. So for people who are uh, perhaps not familiar with that term, could you give us a working definition of metaphysics? Well, actually, the word really uh, came into being a hundred years ago, and it, it really meant at that time mind over matter. You know, in other words, the power in thought. And it's such a wide field because uh, some people make a religion out of it. Some look at it purely as a mental exercise. So meta, mind, physics, it's mind over matter is what it really started out. And I think simultaneously, scientists 
way back to Max Planck in 1915, said that everything was consciousness manifesting in form. If you want to change the form, change the consciousness. Well, consciousness and thought comes out of your consciousness. It's a, an expression of your consciousness. So it's all sort of tied together. The whole positive thinking uh, thing came out of the same advent. So we're, we're talking about a synergistic way of looking at the universe. And, you know, in, in researching you, Walter, I was fascinated to find that you were someone who was very deeply interested in the writings of Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And I always screw up the pronunciation of that name, so you'll correct me if I'm wrong, and I suspect I am. Well, they usually say Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. De Chardin, okay. All right, but I know that the de Chardin is almost, was almost sort of added on. Uh, Teilhard is really sort of, that's you know, his real last name. I, in, in college, had read, I found in the library, in college, a book of his that had never been signed out. And I ended up signing out this book, and it really was the, the title. They say, don't judge a book by its cover, but I judged a book by its title. It was a book called Building the Earth. And uh -huh. I saw that, and I thought, you know, I need to, to grab this, and I need to read it. And even though it came from a uh, primarily religious point of view, being someone who really, uh, at the time, and, and, and to some extent now, still sort of self-identifies as somewhat agnostic with spiritual tendencies, but it's more complicated than that. I started to learn that this, this man was a paleontologist and really was involved in some groundbreaking scientific work, but yet was able to, to broach the world of religious thought. And it seems to me, Walter, like you're someone who really closely mirrors that in that you come from a bigger world and were sort of led down a, a certain path. And I'm wondering if you tell us a little bit about where Walter Starkey comes from. You know, uh, I was an officer in the Navy in the Second World War, and then I went to New York because I didn't want to come back to Texas and conform. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the only thing I could fake my way into, uh, but wait a minute, before this happened, and I was taking pills to pick me up and things to calm me down. I was in terrible shape. Mm -hmm. And one night I was down in the village. I was on my way home, looking, going to the subway, and I'd had too much to know I was drunk. And uh, <laughs> uh, and I got mugged. They took my coat with the little money I had in it, and I had enough change in my pocket to get home. And woke up the next morning with a black eye and a bruised face, so I couldn't even go out and look for work. And it was the strangest thing. It was like, I guess you'd call it an epiphany, a dam opening up and all the muddy water going out. And then it said to me, now study all the world's religions, and if you can find truths that appear in all of them, then you might 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 agree with those truths. But really, uh, it really went on as I came to discover that I've not been a religious person because I think most religions, in fact, all I know of, have a pitfall. But but I started my search and to see central truths in life, and that led me into most remarkable ways. And then after that epiphany, success just came flowing in. I started out as an actor in New York and played three juvenile leads on Broadway my first year, and then became a producer, and I was the youngest producer ever to win the drama critic circle at that time by producing I Am A Camera, which was made into the musical Cabaret. I still get royalties from Cabaret. Thank wow, wow. And so it's just been a search for meaning, you know. As we all seem to, to have. But now, you came to, to your path in, in sort of a unique way. For example, one of your books is called It's All God. Obviously, Walter, I don't need to tell you that when people hear the word God, there are certain connotations 
that trigger in people sort of a, a very base response. You know, some people immediately project onto that word certain meaning. Other people project onto that word certain certain nastiness. So what's your yeah, take I on that? I wouldn't have called it It's All God without the subtitle, which is It's All God, the flowers and the fertilizer. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Okay. Because I don't believe in God as something out there sitting on a cloud or so forth. I, I do feel there is an ultimate truth. I do feel there is a higher consciousness that's in all of us. And if for shorthand you want to call it God, okay. But you know, I, I'll tell you something. I have a club. Well, not really. But it's called the TTP Club. And I think this is all you need. You can throw away all the religious stuff and all of that if you're just TTP. Trust the process. I mean, life is a process, and it's a fantastic thing. And either we trust this process, trust life, or we don't. And so when difficulties come up, we just have to ask ourselves, do I trust the process? Because if we do, we're really having faith in anything that one might call God. When we talk about the process, we're talking about our lives, right? Look, first of all, I'm a great believer in evolution. And not just the evolution from the one-cell amoeba, that ended up with this complicated human body. But we've had the evolution of thought, and we've had the evolution of spirit. It's constantly growing. We're constantly advancing. And I have a great trust in that. Now I'm going to get on another subject. I'm particularly alive with it right now because of a shift in two things. There's a shift in consciousness, which I think I never thought I would see happen. When I had my epiphany and I saw the future, I thought, oh, this is not going to happen. But by golly, it's happening now. I'll talk about that shift in a minute. And the other was a globalization, these two things. Well, now, the shift is this. Always results have been more important than how to get them. Getting them was more important than how you did it. In other words, the objective was more important than the subjective content. Mm -hmm. In other words, people thought, well, I want peace. Well, if they're thinking objectively, then let's just kill everybody else and I'll be at peace. And <laughs> well, that doesn't make sense. And now we have a shift. And to me, I think that's the reason people are attracted to Obama. Because first of all, he tries to look at the quality of the decisions, of, of the things that he wanted to say. And then you may or may not agree with how he goes about objectifying them, but subjectively, you agree with him. Because he, he's on the right side of, of good things. And so I think that's the shift that's taking place now, where the priority is changed instead of the objective being primary and the subjective being secondary that we're shifting to where the subjective is primary and the objective necessary. Now, that is an absolute necessary thing if we're going to have globalization. In September a year ago, when all of the financial institutions of the world, all of them in every country, unrelated to each other, all took a dump on the same day in the same way, mm -hmm. that showed us something. We're now living in a global uh, society a global consciousness. No longer can we say, well, we have our own nation and, and, and we don't need everybody else. We're all interlocked now. People don't even begin to realize yet how this is affecting them individually. You know, in the past, if my little toe was infected, I'd say, well, it's way down there, so I don't care about it, uh, out of sight, out of mind. 
Well, now our little toe may be people starving in Bosnia. And if we don't do something about it, it could affect our whole leg and our whole body of mankind. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think this is the most exciting, the most wonderful, most privileged time to be alive that we've ever had. There are people, you know, it's interesting when you bring up um, the, the, the concept of globalization. I, I remember being a young child when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. There was that moment, I mean, everybody was watching on television, and there was that moment when it really felt like the national boundaries that divide us most of the time, that they really seemed to fall away. There was that moment where it wasn't just an American stepping on for the first time to the surface of another celestial body, but it was it was humanity doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I've always contended that the most important single image of the 20th century was that infamous shot of the planet Earth in space hanging there. You know, we had yeah. never had a chance to look back in on ourselves like that and realize, hey, this is a very finite place, and it's the only place we have. There is no other room. There is no place we can get in a car and drive to. Well, if we, you know, if we screw this pool up, we'll just go to the pool down the street. Now, when we talk about a sense of a, of a global consciousness, uh, there are some people who would say, well, you know, that's now you're talking about one world order, and there's kind of a there's a negative connotation to that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, sure. I know what you mean. To them it is, because uh, they look into self-protectiveness, you know, and self, you know, fear. Mm. I don't care what kind of fear it is, yeah. whether it's fear of change or whatever it is. Fear is a lack of self-love. Fear says, I don't have that within me that can take care of this, no matter what it is. See, that's why I say we've got to trust the process because uh, it's out of our hands individually now and out of our nation's hands individually as a nation. We're all interlocked. Our economies are, and the, the whole world is. And so that's why it's a, a different ball game. It's not accidental because with the advent of the cell phone and CNN and so forth, so when everybody communicates, everybody in the world knows everything that's going on all over the world. When my mother was a little girl, the, her knowledge was as far as a horse could go in a day. And now we can circle the earth a few times in a day. I mean, and the impact on the natural psyche. Well, you talked about yourself and the things that you saw on the landing when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Well, you were sensitive. Because there are a lot of kids that weren't sensitive. They didn't look at it that way. They just looked at it as, as something that they saw on the news. And, they didn't look at the implication. See, I, I remember all my friends, we were, we were talking about it endlessly for days. I mean, it, it seemed to capture all of our attention. And my parents, I mean, they were the ones that really, you know, they made sure that we knew all about it um, because it was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. I mean, really, were there people that didn't care? <laughs> Well, I don't they, want to believe they, that. They cared. But when you talked about it, you mentioned the subjective nature of it, that you saw it as humanity doing it. They yeah. saw it as a person doing it. You know, well, they, they didn't yeah. see it, how it re really related to them. They didn't see the subjective nature of it. They just saw the objective occurrence. Now, now that's interesting because it, you're almost putting those two words on on opposite ends of where we would normally think about them. But I also notice in your book that you do that a lot. 
<laughs> you know, when you talk about, um, and, and, and I want to, you know, Walter, we brought you on without giving you a tremendous amount of context for what we do on this show and the things that we no. talk about. Um, and and I, I, I thought that would be an interesting sort of an exercise because in the realm of paranormal research, we become known as being very objective thinkers and really trying to look at things from a scientific point of view. I don't want to say we're taking a detour, but we're, we're going off in a bit of a tangent here that we normally don't go off on. But one of the reasons we're doing it is because of the things that I've heard you say. You know, the, you're, you're talking about religion being something that has held us back from being one with the universe. I think that's, that's really interesting, and, and quite frankly, I think you're really onto something there. Well, so, it has, for one thing. I, I mean, I've been around the world five times. I've, I've lived in Zen monasteries, Hindu monasteries. I've seen it all. And all, I mean all, of the rose religions had the same, what I think it was, a flaw. They all admitted that there was some sort of supreme being, Allah, Brahm, collective consciousness, whatever you wanted to call it. But they all said that to get it, you had to get rid of your humanity. And that, the, that laid a guilt trip on us. All religions laid guilt trip on, because they talked in terms of absolutes. And at this level, that's why there is no such thing as a paranormal. It is our trying to understand things that we didn't think were normal mm -hmm. and, and discovered that they really are normal. It's just that they weren't normal because we didn't understand them. So we give them the word paranormal. Business travel is a profitability killer. You know that. So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service with just a click Launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bazaar sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net 
Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're talking with a very, I don't know, unusual guest for us, but certainly someone who has an interesting life story, an interesting experience, Walter Starkey. And I want to thank you, Walter, for saying what you just said, because when I've always heard the term supernatural and paranormal, to me it's just an emphasis about what we don't know about this universe. And it really, it, it, it's more of a, our problem with the fact that we're human beings and we have to categorize everything. So we put yeah. things that we know about in a box and everything else is outside of us. And that's sort of the same way you look at spiritual life, right? I mean, what what's your personal philosophy? Let's get right to it. Everything yeah. we've been talking about is a lie. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Go. It's words. It's about the truth. The truth can't be voiced. It can only be experienced. See, it's like programming a computer. We can think about it, talk about it, put it on paper, whatnot. But actually, if you don't experience it, it's nothing. And that's where it's at. So that's why I use the phrase third dimension and fourth dimension. Third dimension is this level of time and space here and now, and it's limited. Fourth dimension is is beyond personal sense. It's the unlimited infinite. And we only have moments of experiencing that. But even the slightest moment sheds a light of, lot of light at this third dimensional level where we think. And somebody might say those experiences where you break through into the fourth dimension are paranormal. Mm -hmm. Well, they're available, but many people never experience it. How do you feel about the use of chemistry to enhance the quote-unquote normal human, human experience? One thing that keeps coming up when people talk about these topics is that there are certain compounds that break down one's perceptive limitations, let's call them, and lets them see what some people feel is an objective alternate reality. Now, I'm, I'm going to imagine, Walter, based on the little I've read about your personal story, you've probably touched the face of the fire of some of that stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering, because again, given the kinds of interactions, personal interactions you had, with some fairly well-known people in the world of entertainment. What's your thought about, for example, the use of hallucinogenic compounds? You know, I, I wrote a book called The Ultimate Revolution, and uh, it was about a lot of it in the hippie period and whatnot. And, uh, and I had a chapter in there on drugs and hallucinogenics and so forth. And mm -hmm. all of my friends, I was living in Key West at the time, who were into all of that, they all read the chapter and said, right on, it was okay. And I, I was on the um, Art Link letter, pro well, I won't go into that, and, and he asked me about it, and his interviewers had interviewed me. Now, he hadn't, but his interviewers had. And on the air, he said, suddenly he said, I understand you smoke marijuana. And he said, now, don't answer that. And he turned to the audience and he said, tune in tomorrow and hear what he has to say about it. Jesus. Well, I had, they'd asked me if I'd ever smoked marijuana. I said, of course I have. Oh, you know, I've tried everything. Because when I wrote The Ultimate Revolution and I had not done it, people said, well, you've never done it. So when I got back home to Key West, I decided to, to take a trip. And so I did. I took some acid 
And it really was a re revealed something to me. There was a me standing there watching the whole experience because mm -hmm. it was like going to the top of the mountain where you saw a supernaturalness in everything. You saw all these other dimensions. So it was okay with me. But for kids who have not had a lot of experience and they have this mountaintop experience and then when they come down from it, they haven't earned it because in life we usually say, well, mm -hmm. I can get to the top of that mountain. We get there and we say, oh, my goodness, there's a valley and a higher mountain. Well, okay, I can get there. And we get there and we say, oh, there's a valley and a higher mountain. And we earn our development. And sometimes when they're too young and they do it, they see things that are too far from their reach. And so then their lives at this level become a mess. You know, mm -hmm. so so it's a tricky area. I knew Aldous Huxley quite well, and he used to go to the Hindu Vedanta monastery at a time when I would visit there. And he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And he opened the door for the use of drugs in, in psychotherapy and whatnot, because when he took mescaline, I admired the man, but even when I was young and knew him, when I was in my late 20s, I didn't want to trade places with him because his mind was so strong that he thought he could understand everything. And when he took mescaline for the first time, something stronger than his mind took over. So it was a really eye-opener to him. As a matter of fact, he died on acid. Uh, I mean, not that he took it a lot or anything, but on his last wishes to help get out, uh, he did. And so that opened the door for all the psychologists of the great Huxley would do it, you know, and 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 it's it's an experimental field, and so it can possibly do good, and it can possibly do a lot of harm. Well, by taking these substances, Walter, what huh? do you think is actually happening? Are you being exposed to something that's real, a genuine place, a genuine presence, or is it all just something in your head, or is there a difference? Listen, the. Hindus say that this life is an illusion. Well, it's not an illusion. Our interpretation of it is an illusion. So we all, uh, your interpretation of it is different than mine, which is the truth. None of them probably, as far as we humanly can understand. I think some of those could uh, uh, open people up so that they would um, uh, then on their own search further. But the answer to me is this. When, when the scriptures say at the beginning of Genesis that man and woman was created and given dominion over the world of effect, what does dominion mean? Dominion means use everything, but don't be used by anything. So I can go and have myself a couple of martinis, and I'm not being used by the martinis, I'm using them. But if I have to have that martini, I'm being used by the martinis. And so it's the same with chemicals and with hallucinogenics or anything. I think anything can be done if it's done in the right way and if, and if you're in control. The toughest thing that people don't want to hear because they want to blame a god or government or a husband or a wife or something is you create all the laws that operate your own life. There's no outside influence laying a trip on you of any kind. You do it to yourself. If you could say, well, my government, you empower the government to do that by your belief. 
And so this is a, it's a terrifying thing to take responsibility for your own life. But if you don't like something in your life, you have set it up. And so you've got to figure out how to change your consciousness if you want to change the form. And that's purely scientific. Consciousness now, manifests in form. And, and that's something that uh, right in the, I think it was on the first chapter of It's All God, you bring up quantum mechanics, which I, I think a lot of people who might read your books might look at that and go, well, what's this? I mean, here you're bringing up a branch of physics in a book about spirituality, which, by the way, is something that I think that we want to explore more. I had just recently read The Conscious Universe by Dean Radin. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Dean Radin. It's a book no, called the, the, the Conscious Universe. I think you would quite like it, Walter. Um, yeah, it sounds like I would. The title it, is. It, yeah, it, and there is a book you can definitely judge by its title. It, it's actually it's quite excellent, and it talks about the extension of what we know to be science into realms that most people don't think are scientific, but where he basically presents real hard evidence to uh, describe things like precognitive ability, uh, psychic ability, things like telekinesis. I mean, things that we would normally think are, or, or not that we, our audience, would think is norm would normally think is nonsense, because our audience is definitely thinking outside of the box, as it were. But um, where most people would look at that and say, well, that's just nonsense. You can't prove that scientifically. And Raiden actually backs up his statements with numbers, with experimental evidence that indicates uh -huh. that indeed there is a an interaction going on, sort of what I like to think of as a dialogue going on between us and the universe. But something you said before, Walter, that is something that, that I've always had some some issues with. I'm going to throw it right out to you and see what how you respond. The idea that, that you control your life that you define the laws. And a friend of mine, my first year of college, my, my old dear friend, David Grooms, who I haven't spoke to, spoken to in years, the first hour we were talking to each other, he said to me, I'll never forget this, he said, you create your own reality. That's just what I said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I said, you, you create your own, law, your own laws. No, no, no other laws work on you. That's right. But you know what I said to him, Walter, and I'll say it to you now. I'm curious to see how you respond. I said to him, you know what, Dave? That's all good and fine, but when your local star goes nova or supernova, I contend that at that time, at that point, you no longer create your own reality. Your star decides your fate. What do you say to that? Uh, I don't know what you mean by that. Star explodes. Uh, Our star, at a certain point, gets to an age where... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the but you, you know. you're defining whether you are a body, personality, a temporary thing, or life eternal. You know, we can never have, or I ask you this, can we have infinity minus anything? Mathematically, no. we're not supposed to be able to, no. All right. right. So, so there will always be a David. Your body may leave, but the consciousness we call this individual, unique consciousness called David will always exist because we can't have infinity minus anything. So, you know, I was thinking this morning a statement that my saintly grandfather made in a letter he sent me and he said life is real life is earnest and the grave is not the goal dust to the dust thou returnest was not written of the soul because I happen to believe and as again I can't think fourth dimensional things beyond me but I sense them and I don't feel like I just came along 89 years ago and I just don't feel like I'm going to leave in a couple more years from now there's some continuity 
And I don't know what it is, but that's what I believe. Now, if that's my Nova that shoots off into space, okay. <laughs> so what would be the theory of, say, when you die in this reality, you're in another reality, and people can call it heaven, but maybe it's just Walter Starkey, David Biedney, and Gene Steinberg continuing on, and maybe we died in 27 different realities, and now we're on reality number 28. Well, you know, I don't believe and some of the oriental religions that you sort of go back into just a big pool where you lose your identity you're just part of this mass that's the reason why I, i'm afraid of, of suicide because um i'm afraid that uh, i may be worse off if i do it and don't learn the lessons that i'm here to learn now and i put them off and i escape them by committing suicide even though my desire for suicide is the desire to live, not die. I feel like I'm I'm living dead now, and and mm -hmm. I want to get out of here. And mm -hmm. so uh, we just have to kind of sense these things. Now, you know, Walter, people who have listened to this show regularly know about one of my experiences, one of my anomalous experiences that involved my my mother's passing, and um, and she and I had had an agreement that if she could somehow give me some sort of sign of continuance that she would. And, and I've told this story on the show before. I won't retell it now. At some point, you and I will talk, and I'll tell you about this. But actually, my mother did exactly that. She actually was able to give me not just some sort of secondary evidence, but she gave me direct physical evidence of continuance beyond this corporal existence and also mixed it in with the idea that she per retained her identity. So what, what you said before, that David, as me, you know, that I, I don't somehow cease to exist after this body goes, there are a lot of people who consider themselves skeptical thinkers who would say, well, that's just Huey. I'm not one of them. I actually, and I've come out about this on this show, I've said that my mother was able to provide to me physical evidence of a continuance where she actually retained her sense of identity and I've actually found great comfort in that my, I'm going to tell you my, my mother's story I was very close to my mother and when she died I felt a, a loss and, and for months I felt a heaviness because I was very close to her and all of a sudden that heaviness lifted and I thought well now that's strange and two days later I got a letter from a woman on the East Coast that I know very well and a woman on the West Coast that I know very well and they don't know each other at all. And both of them said, your mother has been hanging around because she's been worried about you, but she knows you're going to be all right now, so she's gone on. <laughs> I don't want to explain that. But it lifted. And so I had, I had to believe that there was something to it. I mean, I don't understand it, but must be there. Now, you've had, as we've intimated before, Walter, you've had a, a really interesting life. Now, one of the things that you've written a book about, and I started, your, your people sent me three of your books, and I started reading all three actually simultaneously. Apparently, I started with the one I should have ended with first, and I, I'm sort of like that. But one of the books they sent me was about your experiences, your, your many years working very closely but with someone by the name of Joel Goldsmith. Yeah. And I'm hoping that you can you can fill in our... Because our, I don't know that any of our listeners has, have ever heard of this man. 
Men, did you know your prostate can affect your quality of life? It can affect your urine flow and stream. And let's be honest, it might even affect intimacy. Don't ignore the importance of your prostate. So what do you do? Well, see your doctor for checkups, of course, and take beta prostate. Beta prostate is a natural supplement that works with your body to support prostate health and normal urine flow. It's so powerful, you'd have to take 100 saw palmetto capsules in order to get the same natural plant sterols as one beta prostate. Try it risk-free for 30 days and give your prostate targeted nutrition. For a risk-free trial of beta prostate, call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Don't put off this important phone call. With Beta Prostate, your satisfaction is guaranteed or you get your money back. Call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Walter Starkey, a modern mystic. And now, let's have the answer to the question. Joel, who has, he wrote 35 books that are still in print. He died, though, a long time ago. I can't remember how many years right now. And I studied with him, and then finally, I had a difficulty because he was very absolutist. Absolutists lay a guilt trip on you. Because I think absolutes are good to aim at because we get further than we would if we didn't aim at them. But if we believe we can achieve them at this less than absolute level, we lay a guilt trip on ourselves. So I'm against that. And the one thing that's most important to us said earlier is self-love. And as long as guilt is the enemy, it's the one thing that I'm, you know, rapidly against. But I am indebted to this man, Joel Goldsmith, because he was what you would call a mystic, and mysticism simply means, you look it up in the dictionary, the ability to contact the divine center within yourself. Nothing to do with some God out there. It's, we call mystics anybody who's religious, but that's not what a mystic is. A mystic believes that he can experience his own godliness, not something out there. And so he projected into me that not only that possibility but that reality and now i'm a a great advocate not for any religious reason at all for meditation at 98 everybody's always not believing my age well deepak Chopra says that meditation is the best anti-aging thing possible well i've been meditating since i was in my 20s every morning not for some superstitious thing to appeal to some god out there, but simply to drop the finite sense of self, to drop personal sense. It's like taking a psychic bath every morning to get rid of the things that I've taken on during the last 24 hours. And then going within and listening. You know, one of the greatest bad things we have is that little children are intuitive. Then we send them to school. And the first thing they try to do is kill their intuition. Mm-hmm. And they don't conform, you know? And when religious people talk about the still small voice, that's all they're talking about. 
And we all should listen to our own in, intuition and trust it because it knows what we need. So every morning I get quiet and turn me in and listen, you know. And we should also, I believe we should dialogue with ourselves. Um, I'll ask my higher self, well, what do you think about this? And then I sort of listen to hear what my higher self will tell to me, my lower self. <laughs> <laughs> we live in, in such a media-saturated culture, Walter, where, you know, the, the notion of quiet time is something that people don't, don't take time for. So how did you get into the habit of doing this daily meditation? And before you answer that, I just want to tell people that when I saw these videos of you on YouTube, and you stated, I think these videos are a couple of years old. So at the time, you were 87 years old. And I'm looking at you talking. I'm thinking, there's just no way this guy is 87 years old. It's impossible. I've never seen an 87-year-old with that kind of energy who looks so relatively youthful. And, and Walter, I still don't believe it. Are you really like 89 years old? How? Do you, I mean, that's amazing. Really, but truly. My whole life really is in my title of my first book, The Double Thread. I don't think anything out here is either or. I'm, I'm not a man of earth or a man of God. I'm both, so forth and so on. So we always have two things. For instance, if I have a candle flame, which is my spirit, and I take it outdoors, it'll blow out unless it has a shield. If it can't exist without the shield, well, then the shield is every bit, every bit as important as the flame. Sure. Well, my body is the shield, and I've always taken care of it. Right now, I have a trainer I go to once a week. I go to the gym at least two times a week, you know. I work at it and I eat fairly healthy, drink a little too much wine, but uh, otherwise. Um, <laughs> and so we've got to live holistically. And when I talk about globalization, that applies to our own body, too, because we have so many different dimensions, the mental dimension. And, and when I say spirit, I'm not talking about anything religious. There is a spirit in every word you say. Somebody else can say the same sentence you say, and there's say it with poisonous spirit, or you can say it with a loving spirit, you know? And so the spirit is simply the spirit in which you face life. And I've always faced life with a very positive spirit. You know, I, I just refuse to let stress have its way. And, and those things all add up. Well, I know that uh, some of our listeners are probably thinking, boy, if only David would listen to this guy. And, and Gene is probably, <laughs> Gene probably has some of the, the same issues I do. I mean, we, we uh, you know, Walter, on the show, one of the things that, that we're known for, we, we sometimes have people on who make what we consider to be outrageous claims about certain things. And, uh, and we take them to task. And I know that, that I specifically, you know, Gene is kind of like the good cop, and I'm the bad cop. Um, uh -huh. And people will take me to task, you know, why'd you have to, to, to be so mean with that person? And, you know, usually what I say to people is that, look, I take these topics seriously, and when there are people who make a mockery of them, it bothers me on a personal level. So am I taking stuff too, too, am I taking stuff too personally, Walter? I mean, how do I, how do I sort of disconnect or, or maybe tone down that part of me to be more accepting because I'll tell you I'm, I'm like Gene I'm a native New Yorker we're both native Brooklynites and there's a thing it's like it's a genetic thing that 
when faced with BS, stuff that's like really obviously just nonsense, uh, we get emotional. I certainly get very emotional about it. Gene, to, to a lesser degree, but Gene does as well. Are we doing something wrong? Well, <laughs> you know, I take the words of the world's most famous rabbi as a philosophy that's very sound, uh, Jesus, because he was a <laughs> rabbi. And uh, in Luke, he says, forgive 70 times 7 if they repent. Now, mm. that makes it a hell of a lot of difference mm. than these Christians who think, well, we just should put our arms around this son of a bleh and forgive him. <laughs> That's bad, because then you become an enabler. Mm. So getting back to what you said, when I see someone violating the principles of love, I'll test them on it. I mean, I won't just forget it and be an enabler and say... Bump against it and change, fine. If they don't, I'll shake the dust from my feet. But I believe we ought to stand up for the things we believe in, whether they're right or wrong, or else mm. we're fooling ourselves. And we stand up even for the wrong things. That's why I say uh, everybody's religion I honor because it is their highest sense of truth. And that's what I honor, everybody reaching out to the highest sense that they can, even if it's a wrong one, as far as so, I'm concerned, you know. So the intent is what you're looking at, really? Yes. You hit the word. That's the word, intent. That's the okay. important word. Okay. Because, intent. you know, when, when you look at intent, I mean, there are some people, I guess it's all about point of view. And, and this actually brings me to something else about the, the writing of yours that I've read, Walter. And, and I'm going to throw kind of a, it's not a, not, a, not, a, not kind of a left field question, but there's a, a, a cult movie that a lot of younger people tend to like. It's called Donnie Darko. I bring it up because in the movie there's a scene where uh, there is this uh, sort of a motivational speaker. Actually, it's played by Patrick Swayze, who I understand is very sick right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he's talking to a classroom, and he's basically saying to them, okay, here's how, the, here's how everything works. You've got, he's got a scale. He says, on this end you have fear, and on this end you have, have love. And you're either in one place or the other. And the main character of the movie uh, uh, basically says, hey, you know, things aren't that straightforward. It's not a binary world. There's lots of shades of gray in between. Yeah. What's your, how do you feel about that? You know, uh, we have to look at it in terms of energy. The thing that people don't understand, thinking love isn't it. Feeling love sends out an energy. And there's low-voltage energy. There's different degrees, higher energy, lower energy. It's not just energy, period. Uh, and so I do believe that at this level, nothing is complete by itself. We have to look at everything in terms of the what and the how, or the here and the there, in order to get a holistic picture. And if there's anything you wish to achieve, you say, well, now, what do I need to add to this in order to achieve it? So there are a lot of things that that, you know... I don't believe in law. I believe in grace. In other words, I believe everything's constantly moving. And law, people created the Old Testament with all of its laws because they didn't trust themselves. They needed guidelines to depend on rather than their own sense of self. And I think that's also symbolic of what the New Testament stood for because he said, you know, take the first commandment and throw the other nine paranoid thou shalt not commandments away and add unto the first or second love your neighbor love cause and love effect and if you can love both of them and so that means look right out here at the world of effect 
and don't see it materially. This, again, is why I'm really all for Obama, because uh, he really incorporates both. He's very practical. He's got a brilliant mind, but he looks at, seek ye first the kingdom of God, seek ye first the subjective nature. And that's what he does. And I think we should in our own lives. There again is why meditation is, to me, important, because I program my day. You know, it's like this. I meditate to get the music going. If you've ever worked in any place that has music, you forget that the music's playing until mm-hmm. it stops. And then you say, oh, what's that? Oh, the music stopped. So I get the music going in the morning, and then I don't think about it. You know, but when I begin to feel poisonous, I say, "Uh uh-oh, the music stopped, which brings me up another subject. I'm going to stick it in real quick. Sure. That is, we've got to be aware of pollution. We pollute ourselves innocently. Now, I've just recently realized this in this respect because I went to that movie, The Wrestler, because that guy was up for Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And... Uh, when I left the picture, I was in terrible shape. I was feeling awful and angry, and I snapped at my friend about something and so forth. But the thing was, because I had taken on into my consciousness this poisonous anger, this physical torture, and so forth, for two hours, and I was polluting my spirit. You're saying, and basically, so it's a movie about somebody who undergoes an incredible amount of torture. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's the same way about people. If there are people around you that you are poisonous or that you don't like, walk away. Be polite, but walk away. And that includes members of your own family, (laughs) (laughs) if they're that way. Isn't there no way to convert them to something a little less unpleasant? I think we can voice something, but we're not our brother's keeper. We're we're not uh, responsible for uh, making someone change. They've got to go through their own evolution. But we can hold out, we can point out the truth to them, and if they accept them, fine. If they don't, fine. It's not us to be Hitlers and decide that we want to make the whole world, you know, serve us or what we think is right. I'm going to offer you as an antidote to the wrestler, uh, Walter. The the director who did that is one of my personal favorites. His name is Darren Aronofsky. He's, He's truly brilliant. And the fact that that movie disturbed you so, to me, indicates that that Aronofsky achieved sort of what he wanted to. A couple of things. Never see his second movie called Requiem for a Dream, because it will screw you up for months. So don't ever watch that. But I would strongly recommend that you consider watching his third movie called The Fountain, which is almost the, the spiritual antithesis to The Wrestler. And we'll leave you. And, and and you might not think of think that about ten minutes into the movie, but trust me on this. By the end of it, it will you will have a different appreciation for Aronofsky's work. He he he's very intense about what he does. Well, and what the rest was the name of that last movie? The Fountain. The Fountain. I'll yes. look for it. Yeah. Is it Please just do. out, or has it been out a while? It came out a couple of years ago, and it was one of those very polarizing movies that a lot of people felt um, was almost too metaphysical in nature, but that some of us just worship. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And really, what it is, Aronofsky's films have all been what I would categorize as ruminations. 
His first film, which is called Pie, is, is, is a rumination on the nature of... You know, I was describing this to someone yesterday. I forgot exactly how I described it. Requiem for a Dream, a rumination on the nature of addiction. Uh, the Fountain, a rumination on the nature of death and love. And The Wrestler is a rumination on the nature of celebrity. Yeah, they, they, they each have... And they're, they're all very deep in how they approach their topics. Um, oh, I know what. The, the, the pie is a rumination on the nature of curiosity. Oh, um, really? Yes. Uh-huh. But it is also a very difficult picture. Uh, and, and the ending left a lot of people very confused. Though uh, I, I've never thought his work was confusing at all. He, he's just a very... He's one of those directors that uh, he's all about intensity. So I'm not surprised you walked out of The Wrestler feeling very upset and angry. I think it's exactly what he tried to achieve. But that leads me to another question. Movies. What's one of the most uplifting movies you've ever seen? Oh, goodness. How? Oh. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I don't know. Out of Africa? I don't know. That I know particular actors better than the movies. I go see anything Meryl Streep's in. I think she's such an incredible actress. I just offhand, I can't exactly remember. What did you think about Doubt? Did you see Doubt? Oh, yes. I thought it was excellent. <laughs> there again, <laughs> Meryl Streep, you know, because she can put so much into the thing. I mean, even the evil of that woman, she had a sense of humor, <laughs> despite all of her evilness, you know. <laughs> the, yeah. the movie had a lot of evil in it, actually. But but you see, the thing is, I like that movie because I thought it was exposing the evil and making people really value what was right and good and noble. <laughs> and the actor, whatever his name is, he's so tremendous. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he, he's he very powerful. Good actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you you see, can never forget. I think I was attracted to the theater to begin with for spiritual reasons. If you can create a drama on the film or on the stage that is so real that for two hours laugh and cry and take it as reality that means that you can break this 24-hour reality just as well that, that this is continuous soap opera I really think life is a soap opera I mean I don't understand it I'm playing in it and what's more I talk to New York. I usually speak in New York about once a year. And I was up at uh, Symphony Space mm-hmm. uh, a year or so ago. And uh, the title of my talk was The Gospel According to Tallulah. Because the last play I produced starred Tallulah Bankhead. And the main thrust of it was for us to realize that we write the script and we direct the performance and we star in it so if we don't like some of the dialogue or some of the action of the script change it you're the author of it change it i'll tell you what before we change any more scripts here's this one before we break for our hourly interval as they say walter where can our listeners learn more about the things you do my name is spelled, that's the key thing. It's the German name, S-T-A-R-C-K-E, dot com. If they go on Walter Starkey, S-T-A-R-C-K-E, dot com, everything comes up on that. And more will come up on the other side of the Paracast. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. 
That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Walter Starkey is a writer, a producer, and a modern mystic. Walter, what do you mean by modern mystic as opposed to mystic or ancient mystic, perhaps? Well, uh, the ancient mystics or mystics of the past, most people think they're religious people who belong to some uh, organizations or churches or, or some particular philosophy. Rare is, as I said in the first part, that mysticism is only the belief that you can tune within to receive uh, in, by your intuition uh, all knowledge or whatever there is. But there's something in the break that came into my mind that I want to talk about, and that is I think the saint of the 20th century was Albert Einstein. People don't really realize how much he has contributed. Because in 1924, he and the man named Bose came up with the Bose-Einstein condensate. And at the time, everybody thought they were crazy. And the other scientists said, oh, it can't be proved, this is ridiculous. It's because they were saying that though a wave is made up of the particles, a particle and a wave were different. And Bose and Einstein said that at one point they were the same. And they said, this is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Well, in the 1990s, some young scientists proved it. And, I mean, materially, scientifically proved it. They took some super cold atoms and some high-powered cameras and produced a little shadow. And then where they say that when this is completely explored, we're going to be able to create things atom by atom. Now, what the Bose-Einstein constantate says, you know, that at one point they are the same. Now, that is the motive behind the power of the Jesus Christ legend, because in him, God and man at one point became the same. But that's the truth about you and me and and all of our uh, what we do. We either accept limitations of our finite self or we accept that, yes, I'm finite, but I'm also infinite. And there are ways that I can go and tune in at times and have access to this infinite knowledge. So, like, for instance, uh, this winter I'm going to give a seminar at my ranch in Texas on practical mysticism. Because this is very practical. It's not religious. It's practical. Because if you can learn how to get out of your limited sense and activate your intuition, you can just do fantastic things. And and they're very practical in your lives, in both your health and your... But, but here is a difference, too. You remember last year there was the big business about the, the secret... 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Two of the people were on it were motivational people, and two of the people on it, Michael, my old friend Michael Beckwith and so forth, were coming from the spiritual side. Now, there was a difference. The motivational people said, if you want a pink Cadillac, you just picture that pink Cadillac, and you put a picture on the wall, and you can will that into being. And you know that's true. You can and then you may very easily get in it and go to the corner and get in a wreck and kill your bloody self. <laughs> but on the other side said, no, don't do it objectively, do it subjectively. No, and put the energy into it. I'm saying you don't just think it. You have to put the energy into it. It is my right to have the perfect transportation for me. It is my right to have the perfect transportation. Now, I don't an analyze whether that's a Mercedes-Benz or a Ford, but it will be the perfect transportation for me. And you can manifest it. And you, won't. And you won't get in the, go down and get in a wreck because it's the right thing. So one is approaching it subjectively and one is objectively. And that's what my life is. I don't ever so-called pray for anything. I just know that it's my right to have the health, the abundance, and those things, and they come. Let me now play. I, I've got to put on my regular hat then because... Um, the devil's advocate? Well, you know, I've had some, some good friends of mine who you know, said to me, do you know about the secret? And I would look at them and I would say, you know, it's interesting to me how um, really so much of the, 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 the audience, the constituency of that book ends up being in the modern Western world. I said, I, I, I challenge you to take that book to the poorest parts of Africa, take it to most of South America, and convince people who are living on a couple of bucks a day that if they want to if they if they want to do something that all they have to do is really put it out there and it will it will come forward and, and i know that i'm i'm sort of oversimplifying this but it just seems to me like um you know you look at the history of mankind and and one of the things i've really been fascinated by in your in your writings walter is that you definitely have a very good grasp on history i mean look at the history of the species and how often has that really been true or is it that everybody's missing the boat or missing the picture? I mean, what, what do you, I mean, you know, how, how relevant is the secret for people in Rwanda or Somalia? Well, now listen, here's the thing. When I had to play I Am a Camera uh, in New York, um, uh, Julie Harris played the lead in it. And she, in rehearsals, she went through the whole process of developing the part. And then she turned it over to technique. And so she was good every night. And she went out to make a movie of Member of the Wedding, and we put another girl in who had to feel it. And so she was good one day and bad the next. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter of uh, learning the, intellectually learning the lessons. It's a matter to turning it over to uh, the subconscious, to the, uh, I don't know how to put it, but uh, you have to be aware of uh, of what you're doing, I'm, I'm off the track now. Let's well, repeat yourself. Or... <laughs> no, well, it, it, it just—it seems to me like there's a certain amount where you can manifest that this is—you know—you you, you sort of you go into yourself and you just even. I kind of wanted to get back to this. Actually, leads us back to something I wanted to ask you about before, because this idea of just even being able to meditate every morning. I mean, how do you approach that process? This is something I'd actually like to learn. So how do I how do I approach the process of being able to 
in the madness that goes on in our lives, Walter. How do you turn everything off? Wow. You said huh? it earlier about we're all so busy, and yeah. and so uh, one has to want to enough to get yeah. up a half hour earlier in the morning, or whatever it is, to go and shut the door and open themselves and um, and attempt to do it. And it's maybe like water breaking through a stone. It, it may have to have drop after drop. You may have to try it daily and daily with that word you said, your intent. Mm -hmm. And then it begins, it, suddenly it breaks through. It doesn't just happen out of the blue like it's turning a switch off and on. It's something that you grow into or you grow as part of yourself. In other words, you've got to take time to to open yourself and not say, well, look, I just can't do this, and uh, keep trying. So, so how do you then contrast that with epiphanies? Well, that can happen, too, because as I said, I've had a couple of them in my life that have been really something. But I think that uh, everything my, uh, had led up to that epiphany didn't happen by accident either. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the uh, the overnight success actor actress that was actually working at it for ten years and finally got a break. You know, we are like an iceberg floating in an ocean. Um, only a, a tiny bit of us appears above the surface. That's our conscious mind. We live mainly by the bigger mass, which is our unconscious mind. Our conscious. Uh, mind, but the conscious mind is important because it's how we program the unconscious. If you do something over and over and over and over again, it programs the unconscious. But I'm floating in the sea of the superconscious, and so are you. So we both have access to that same sea, that same ocean of all consciousness, and uh, we have to recognize that in each other and recognize it in ourselves that we're going from our conscious mind, which is above the surface, into our unconscious mind, and through that to our superconscious mind. In, in your book, It's All God, you talk about it, in, in reading it, it's interesting, I came upon your discussion about the Gnostics, and uh, how that came to be, because it really, it sort of ties very in interestingly to a tagline that I've had here on the show, since we began the show, which is that I don't want to believe, I want to know. Uh, I don't want to believe in, in certain anomalous uh, phenomena. I want to understand them. So yes. could you talk to us a little bit about how this uh, well, separation the, the, the technology In the book, I point out that Constantine, the emperor of Rome, in, in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea time, uh, got, had to get rid of the Gnostics because he had to rule a couple of uh, million people and how can you rule them if they don't believe that the government is the ultimate authority? Mm -hmm. Because the Gnostics believe that the ultimate authority is within yourself. And uh, so the government would have to be secondary. So he had to get rid of the Gnostics. And I feel that with the metaphysical movement, Christian science and all of that, uh, with a rebirth in, uh, in our society of the Gnostics, who are saying it's within yourself. That, you see, I, I shock people a lot because I don't believe in God. I just don't believe in God as anything other than apart from myself. And, you know, it's very good to get to the point to believe that God is with me. 
that God is in me. That's fine. We've got to get there before we can go. That's high school, before we can go to college. But college is no. There's, that's still two, God and. God is as me, not in me, not with me, but as me, appearing as me. And then that's the true sense because you're consciousness. And that's why I love the word consciousness. And I love that everything is consciousness manifesting in form because consciousness creates. Whatever is the creator is God. And that's your own consciousness. So you can create whatever life you want for yourself. And as you said, and I said, but we set those laws for ourselves. And then they work and we run screaming. And so the thing is, we have to know we can change those laws. And ah, and one of the main ones we change is this. Get rid of the future. If you think I will have money, I will have abundance, that's in the future. You have to say, I have. Yes. Even though you, you you overdrew at the bank, you've got to say, I have. And if you believe I have, you will have. Well, is that something like the power of positive thinking? I think it all ties together. Sure. I think positive thinking was the beginning 100 years ago with Norman Vincent Peale and those others that, that brought but, in that subject. Is it that simple, though, Walter? See, this is where the skeptic in me comes up and says, wait a minute. It's almost like that's oversimplification, isn't it? Or is it? Well, I'll tell you, it's, again, programming the computer. But if you don't turn it on, uh, it doesn't do any good. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, if you don't program the computer and you turn it on, you don't get anything anyway. So we might as well program the computer. Don't believe that the programming does it, because it doesn't do anything. It's all mental. But the experiential. I stood up at the annual conference for religious science out of the Silomar year or so ago, and I told him the metaphysical field is over. It's done. It's finished. Hmm. It's done what it had to do. It had to introduce these ideas. And now if it doesn't move into the experience, it's finished. And that's true. Everything is experiential. You might say, I love someone. Well, do you feel it? Do you experience it? Or are you just saying it? The question is, and, do you show it, right? Yeah. Do you show it? Do you live it? Is it real? Yeah. And, you know, scientists uh, have wondered, what is this power? And they're trying to find it in the laboratory. Well, consciousness is an energy. Love is an energy. And if love is there, that energy is there. Because, uh, like Teilhard de Chardin said, love is the only energy capable of totalizing the world, making us all realize our oneness. And I'm, I'm such a positivist, because I see it happening. I see this globalization as a move forward, where we're really interlocking. And I see, again, I'm going on about Obama, because there's a spirit that a lot of... He's almost becoming a worldwide president. He's honored in so many countries. And, and what are they honoring? Not a man. Not a man. An idea, you know? And that's why it's good that he's black, because that's saying that those things don't make any difference. That we're all one. Oh, I think this is a great time to be alive.
Men, did you know your prostate can affect your quality of life? It can affect your urine flow and stream. And let's be honest, it might even affect intimacy. Don't ignore the importance of your prostate. So what do you do? Well, see your doctor for checkups, of course, and take beta prostate. Beta prostate is a natural supplement that works with your body to support prostate health and normal urine flow. It's so powerful, you'd have to take 100 saw palmetto capsules in order to get the same natural plant sterols as one beta prostate. Try it risk-free for 30 days and give your prostate targeted nutrition. For a risk-free trial of beta prostate, call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Don't put off this important phone call. With Beta Prostate, your satisfaction is guaranteed or you get your money back. Call 1-800-625-5535. That's 1-800-625-5535. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. Walter Starkey joining us this week on The Paracast. And we're talking about, right now, just mentioning the influence of President Obama. Now, some people were saying, well, he also wants to look for a single world government and we can't have that. We've got to have the separate countries, the separate tribes, whatever. That's not a good thing to have one world. Well, we wouldn't have a thing called the United States if we felt that way. Because we'd say, oh, well, we can't do that. Texas would no longer be Texas, and California would no longer be California. I mean, we can be United Countries, United Nations. There was that title. And it doesn't mean that they lose their identity. Or anything else. It's just that they recognize the family of all mankind. And so we can all work together. And our experiment here, you know, the United States was a tremendous experiment when it came into being. And, and, and look how it has changed the whole world and become the most successful nation in the world because of those uh, principles. You know, I'll add to that, Walter, because when the euro, the idea of the euro first came around, there were a lot of people that felt that that could never, was never feasible. In fact, I remember that at the time, the discussion being, well, look at Greece with the drachma. You know, here they've had a currency for like 2,000 years. There's no way that a new currency is going to take hold. And not only did it take hold, but it really started to provide a real alternative and, and, and competitor to the dollar, one that I think a lot of people never saw coming. 
So yeah. I think at that level, I would agree with you. But but I would add though, and it's interesting because um, while I, 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 well the whole Obama thing, I mean I hope that your positive attitude about this is rewarded. And and I have a concern, and and I'm not someone who's known to be a conservative thinker. I'm 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 a bit of a I don't know. I'm 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 to the left of liberal, quite frankly. But I, I'm concerned that a lot of the you know the reality of what has come out of the Obama administration has perhaps not matched the image that's projected. And I wonder what your feelings are about image versus reality, because this is like so much. I mean, talk about religion, for example, where you have Catholicism and Christianity. Uh, portraying a certain image, but then there's a reality to it that really seems to be a product of the foibles of human character. What are your thoughts about that? There's always this gap. I, I don't know, but like I'm, I'm with you, and I'm left of, of left in <laughs> the, this word socialism. Socialism means society. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But a, but a lot of the that was done in the name of socialism, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right. and right. the guys that got in control of it became dictators. But right. the thing is that if we truly had democratic socialism, I would be a, a happy boy. Mm-hmm. Because there is no reason why I should be a millionaire and there are people starving in Somalia within a in a, in a world that has the technology that can make this place heaven if we didn't put it into guns and bombs and spend it building homes and feeding the poor and so forth and, and you know that really gives yeah. me concern I, I have to tell you I'm so on the same page with you about that Walter you know I look at the money that's been spent on the quote unquote Iraq war um, oh, it's just- I think it's and sickening. But, starving right here in our country, even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so I, I'm, I'm so there with you. But if we took that money and we put it towards trying to make the world a better place, how much further would we have gotten? So is, is that it? Is that the fall from grace, though, Walter? I mean, go back to the Bible where no. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Is that knowledge the double-edged sword that will do us in, potentially? No, it's the and. The knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. It's the and that's the problem. Good evil is two sides of one coin. I right. mean, what looks like good and evil. It's the and by separating those two and realizing. See, I believe that there's one process at work, one power, if you would call one God, if you want to call it that, and, and so forth. But all you have to do is look back to England, to London in Dickens' time where you couldn't go out on the street at night, where they had children that never saw the light of day working in slave companies or whatever you call it, where they put retarded people in dungeons and and so forth. We have come a long way. Don't lose sight of that. I'm the, that's the double thread. We've come a long way, and we've still got further to go, but, but it's going in the right direction. And now we're breaking into this sense of globalization, which is a big step of realizing no nation is completely autonomous any longer. We as the United States can't exist just in our borders. We, we are too dependent on exports, imports, things like this. It's all working together. And so I'm a double threat. I'm quite aware of the inequities, and I want to do something about it. 
on the other hand, I believe and trust the process. So it's going to be fits and starts, but eventually we get there. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and I'm not saying Pollyanna is all heaven by any means. But I'm saying that's why at this level, there's always two. There are no absolutes. And I think that the people didn't understand the Christian message because they looked at it objectively in terms of healings and, and resurrections and things that happened physically. They didn't listen to the priority of seek ye first, the spiritual, the, the uh, uh, subjective nature of things, which was in his message. He had both, love God and love neighbor, but love cause and love effect. But first, look at cause. And I think that uh, the reason I go on about Obama, not because of him as an individual, because there are a lot of others that are doing it too, but he symbolizes it right now, of starting from the subjective, of, of saying that his uh, goal is to have national health and national things, you know, to augment the, the rights that we all have to share in this wonderful world. So, Walter, let me ask you a question then, because I'm going to imagine that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that the majority of the people that you speak to an audience come to see you perhaps not because of a New Age background, but a, a Christian or Catholic background. Would that, am, am I misstating that? Is that a, a, an well, imperson- Most of the people that, that come now have, have come up through the metaphysical approach, not okay. the traditional religions at all. Okay. And, uh, and the thing that I'm really impressed with are the younger people. Because this younger generation were not like when I was a teenager. If somebody was gay or straight or black or white and all, it made a difference. They don't give a damn. They just say, oh, well, so what? You know? And that's encouraging to me. Uh, I think we've got some really advanced. And, but then there's also this. There are some children coming along now, which some people call the indigo children, who mm-hmm. are just incredible. And, um, I had an experience that really taught me a lesson a year or so ago. I was speaking at a big church in Houston, and after it, I was signing books out in the lobby, and um, a little boy, couldn't have been more than five or six, he came up with his father, and, and his father said, he has something to tell you, and the boy said, I don't remember the words, but he said the equivalent, I really liked what you had to say. Well, how could he have understood my metaphysics? But anyway, I thanked him. I said, thank you very much. and went on signing books. And then my partner punched me and said, look, he was outside crying. I hadn't recognized who he was. So after that, now, something like that happens. I'm around that table and I'll hug him and say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Let him know I know who you are, too. You know, and we're seeing through appearances. And so we've got some tremendous young people coming along. Well, Walter, do you think that perhaps... Those intelligent kids, those aware, sensitive kids were there before, but the culture wasn't quite as accepting of these ideas, and therefore, perhaps we didn't know about them as much as we do now. I've wondered about that. What do you think about that idea? Well, like I said earlier, I believe in evolution, and I think consciousness is evolving just as much as the body has evolved and changed and so I really think there are more of them now than there were. I don't think it was just unrecognized. 
uh, I, I just think that they're really uh, higher be higher levels of consciousness coming into form. So then, if we look at the things that go on around this world that are that seem to be very negative and destructive, is this the yin yang balance of reality? Is 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 there? Can we ever perceive of a time, for example, when the world will not be at war with itself? Yes. Look right now. The age of nations going to war with other nations is over. Just a few years ago, Germany was fighting France, so to speak. That kind of war was over. We still have uh, uh, terrorists and gang-type things, but we don't have nations fighting nations anymore right now and just in the last few years. Really? You know? There's nobody building up great national armies to go and squash another nation. There's what, forces what being to try to stop, uh, you know, like I said, terrorists like uh, some of Bin Laden or whoever it is. And, well, uh, do, you, do you really think that's true, though, Walter? I mean, look at the incredible amount of tension between, for example, India and Pakistan. I mean, they've been sort of on the brink of a, of a nuclear war for a number of years now. Look at North Korea with all of its neighbors. Um, God, I mean, not, none of those are about to go to war. And everybody pretty well recognizes that now. Pakistan and India, they both have a, atomic warfare equipment and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Nations are not. They, they may go on. And you know, there's another thing about life we have to realize. Yeah. If there wasn't the negative, we would never create. We're constantly in and out of balance. Otherwise, we couldn't walk. And so our job is to be like tightrope walkers. We'll lean over to this side, and something says, no, wait a minute, there's a real world out there, get practical. And then we lean over this side, and it says, now look, you're getting too practical. The spiritual is, is you need some more of that to get balance, and then we can walk the tightrope. Now, but, I but, wanted to ask you something about the balance and the mechanism. The you Know Neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies, and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is one and one Internet. One and one Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on one and one Internet to get online and stay online. Right now, one and one Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, one and one Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
We're talking to Walter Starkey, mystic, author, producer. Okay, the balance mechanism. In our crazy little world that we deal with paranormal events, some suggest that certain things have happened to people. It could be UFOs or encounters with other entities, whatever they might be. The messages they give to us are designed strictly to restore the balance. What do you think? Well, I think that, I mean, I would like to think that. I mean, uh, I really do. For instance, right now, it looks like the world is going to have a recession. That's good because we've gotten so fat and so consumer crazy that sometimes we need to go through. I, I can remember the 1930s. I was, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12, and up uh, years old. Uh, it's the beginning of it, of the Depression, recession. And, and, uh, and then people cared. They cared about the quality of their work, and, and they cared about each other. And it was a different society we had. And then the Second World War came, and after that we got rich, and we lost all of that. And we got greedy and so forth. So sometimes we need to get spanked. You know, sometimes I do this partly because it gets a laugh, but um, I'll say to people that they say I'm a uh, 89-year-old bachelor with no children. That's not true. I've got an 89-year-old child named Walter, and I'm a Starkey. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I've got to spank him. Sometimes I have to nurture him. But I'm constantly aware of me and my higher self. And then, for instance, when I'm out speaking, whether I'm speaking to you right now or not, if I'm not hearing it, I got a problem. So I, Walter, the human being Walter, is always aware of that other me too. And I know we got to be on the same page. And, and we're all that way. It's when we get angry, that's the moment when we've lost the two selves. We might be annoyed and so forth, and there's still the two, I'm annoyed by him. But when we get angry, we lose all that. So. There are always two of us and uh, going through life and the need to uh, be in balance. But that takes not just one thing. It's not an absolute. You swing over here, you swing over there, a little too much this, work a little too hard, so play a little more, play too much and you got to get back to work, you know, back and forth. So if we are encouraged by what appears to be an outside force to bring ourselves back into balance. Is that an outside force or is that our subconscious saying, get it together, man? There isn't any outside force other than our own higher consciousness, which is outside of us because we put it out there. It's really in us. There is no God acting on our lives other than that that we are. There's no government. There's no thing making rules and regulations we create our whole lives but we are a higher consciousness we're a lower consciousness we're in a middle consciousness we, we, we have a whole range of infinite natures wrapped up in one I think what, what Gene is sort of uh, referring to Walter you look at uh, we'll get specific here you look at uh, claimed UFO encounters where people say that they've interacted with beings coming from who claim to come potentially from other planets who have messages that they sometimes impart and and we're not saying that this is we're not we're not talking about the veracity of these claims but just the idea that there would be 
beings from other planets that come to Earth, and s that seem to come to Earth and say things to us about how we should care for our planet or about our planet. And there are some people that look at that and say, all right, what we're dealing with here are not solid creatures from other, from other planet who have come here out of altruistic uh, uh, intentions, but are indeed some sort of manifestation. There are some, there are some uh, thinkers along these lines that say these are potentially unknown mechanisms of our planet that are tapping into our subconscious being and using that to evoke for our conscious minds this physical manifestation, this visual manifestation that is a message that the planet is attempting to give us through our subconscious and conscious minds. I think that's what Gene is implying, right, Gene? I think you summarize it very well. That's a great Reader's Digest version. Right. Yeah, that, that's excellent. That is one explanation that's, that's, I think, right on. I think there are a number of different explanations, and that would be certain to be one that would be at the top of my list. You know, always at night we look out there and we see those billions and trillions of stars. And, and what makes us think that we're more advanced or different than, than every single one of them out there? And we know that Einstein also proved that time curves, which mm -hmm. means time is not a reality. So if time is not a reality, space is not a reality. And some of those consciousnesses from planets that are technically millions of years away could appear here too i mean you know it's all possible but it's all taking place in consciousness we are not physical we are consciousness we are invisible and i'm not what i see in the mirror and look at the pictures of me when i was a foot high two feet high three feet high all those bodies are gone i have always been here because i am this consciousness that's manifesting the life i live well, I kind of think here that I don't want to necessarily be the person that I see in the window. Oh, well. <laughs> well, if you don't want to, then change it. Okay, well, I think that's an important thing here. How do we change it? You know, do we have to get together with other people or what we imagine to be other people to start the change? If the change is not just what we're doing, but what we're doing in this country, in this city, in this neighborhood? Well, there's no one law. I do believe where two or more are gathered together. You see, now, I give seminars at times at my ranch, and we're going to be doing some this winter called Practical Mysticism, because all of this is very practical. And I tried, when I can, to limit them. I used to have maybe a couple of hundred people, but now I try to limit them to no more than like 25 or so people, because if you get more than that, it becomes a glob. 25 people, it can be a group dynamic, and it isn't one person, some leader, laying the message down and affecting everybody. They create an energy out of the group dynamic, and that's where we're going in the world today, ultimately the whole world. Well, I think Gene was uh, getting at the idea of um, whether or not this is something that you can accomplish alone, so changing yourself, or whether it is a collective effort. Well, both. You know, we, we do it alone, but I do think that collectively there are times when it's a real boost for us, a real help. Otherwise, I wouldn't uh, have any seminars at all because I just, as I said, that group dynamic is a force, a power, an energy. Mm -hmm. You know, one person 
can carry 100 pounds, but two people can carry 300 pounds. So there is a... Strength in numbers. Yeah. And then some. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's difficult because you two, I never know who's speaking. We don't either, by the way. <laughs> we, we have always, no idea who's speaking. I mean, sometimes a voice <laughs> appears on the radio show, and I think, you know, that must be David, because I mix his voice a certain way. And then, no, that's me. But that can't be me. I never said that. <laughs> the way I explain it to people is I'm the sexy voice. And oh, then the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh, and he has no ego either. <laughs> And a very so, poor sense of reality, but well, no. But let's let's talk about ego for a minute here, because Walter, um, it's almost like I wanted to to have a book about your your time in New York on Broadway. So you interact with a lot of very well known people in your time. Did you find that? How did you find these people to be on a spiritual level? I think there's this this perception that people who are hungry to be in the limelight like a lot of the kind of actors and actresses you might have interacted with, are perhaps lacking a certain spiritual component, or that if they get that spiritual component, then they tend to sort of move away from that limelight. What did you find in that world? Well, there again, there are all kinds. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, I have found that unless people have some sense of needing to fulfill a spiritual side in their life, there's the one's that get out of balance and turn into alcoholics or, 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 or other things. For instance, I remember I was going to vacation in uh, Haiti, and a friend of mine who was the literary editor for the New York Herald Tribune Sunday edition said, here is an advance of a first novel that's coming out that I'm going to give a good notice to. So I went down and I read it, and when I got back, he and I was impressed with the book, I thought it was a little self-conscious where he talked about the minnows stitched the water and so forth. But nevertheless, and he said, well, I'm giving a, a, a cocktail party to introduce this young writer to some of the literary people and invited me. And I went. Well, uh, John Van Druten was there and who wrote, I remember Mama, Voice of the Turtle and all those plays. And John was a six-foot-one reserved Englishman, and he was sitting in a, a, a postered armback chair, and right up in his face, the book was Other Voices, Other Rooms by Truman Capote. Mm. And Truman was right up in John's face. Oh, Mr. Van Bruggen. And John was looking like, oh, what is this mosquito? <laughs> so to get him off of John's back, I said, hey, Truman, come here, come here, come here. And I said, you know, I just got back from Haiti. And I told him all about Haiti. And he got on a plane the next day and went to Haiti. And out of that came the House of Flowers and the Haitian stories. Wow. Well, so I knew uh, Truman through his career. And he didn't have that spiritual thing. And he ended up a miserable drunk getting beat up on the street in his latter life in Key West. You know, because if you don't have that sense to balance the other, it's bad business. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. 
It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Before we get into any other business, we're talking to Walter Starkey, and that's spelled S-T-A-R-C-K-E dot com. <laughs> and by the way, we also have a link to his website, so you don't have to remember that. Oh, website. really? That's right. We charge extra for that, except for you, because you're a nice guy. (laughs) Okay. Okay, good. Well, now, uh, on the other side, so that actually, that was really kind of a, that was cool about Capote. Now, on the other side of that, who might you have encountered in your time in that world that we wouldn't necessarily think of as a spiritually evolved person who you found to be extremely spiritually evolved, if there is such an example? Well, I don't necessarily, but I'll tell you this necessarily think she was a quote-unquote spiritual person but um, when um, Tallulah Bankhead was a little girl I don't know five or six years old or something she had a real spiritual experience where she saw the infinite potential within herself and never had it again nor did she have anyone who could run into anyone who could explain it to her or or teach her how to develop it or understand it and so she pushed herself to try to express this infinity that she had you know and so that had come from a spiritual basis then on the other hand Julie Harris the year after she was in my play I Am A Camera she was in a play where she played St. Joan and uh, one night she stumbled on the stage and cut her lip and they had to bring the curtain down until they patched her lip up and so forth it was in all the papers so I called her up and I said Julie what's this about you um, cutting your lip on the stage and she said I forgot I was acting which is <laughs> a story you know we have to always be a, a spiritual self observing our, our material self another partner in this life it's when the two come together and we think well I'm just awful or I'm just this or that and and that's when we're uh, asking for trouble is there any way to um to walk in multiple worlds and and the the reason I was asking before Walter about you know what's your typical audience because I have to imagine that if you're standing in front of a room full of and not that you'd even be in this situation but just to play this what-if game for a moment if you were standing in front of a in front of a room of primarily fundamentalist thinkers, huh. right? Um, you know, there are certain statements in your books that I'm guessing would infuriate them. Well, probably, <laughs> but but I don't stand. <laughs> I don't get <laughs> to, to those groups, fortunately. But uh, you mentioned about the YouTube before. It was really interesting because some people in Germany saw that and asked me to come over. Mm. I've just been back a couple of weeks, and uh, they said they'd pay my transportation and give me a fee. And I said, well, I don't go by myself anymore. Uh, Erin, who I think you all had talked to, she went with me. 
And so they gave me two tickets and, and they asked what my fee was. And I said, well, 3,000 euro and to do this speech. And they said, well, that's a little heavy. How about 2,000? I said, fine. <laughs> and, and so uh, off we went, all because of this new day of YouTube. It's an amazing you thing, know? YouTube. It's, yeah, it's when... a new day. And so I'm getting on things like that more younger people. But in the past, uh, it has been people in their 30s up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, without YouTube, I would have never found your words. It wouldn't have happened. So we definitely have YouTube to thank for, for you being on the Paracast, besides yourself. You know, YouTube was an amazing thing. Now, while you might not find yourself in front of that kind of audience, um, I have to believe that, and I haven't read the comments on your YouTube posted videos, but I have to think that there are some people who would say to you, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're making certain statements. Like, you know, on the Paracast, there are people have, have accused us, Gene and, and myself, of being very hard on religion because of the dogmatic approach of most organized religion. But it sounds like, Walter, you're sort of in the same camp as we are. I mean, what, I, I, what you're sort of saying is that you feel that religion gets in between a person and their God, essentially. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And it lays a guilt trip on people. <laughs> and the number one thing is self-love. I don't care what you must love yourself because if you don't love yourself you don't have any love to give anybody and religion does more to kill self-love organized religions because the minute you have an organization you've got those on the right and those on the left and you've got rules and regulations and this is what we believe and we may patronize the other religions but we have the truth and all that is for the birds so give us a working differentiation between self-love and narcissism. And what? Narcissism. Well, it's, <laughs> a narcissist <laughs> believes he's what he sees in the, in the pond. He's believing that he is, he doesn't know who he is. Oh, you mentioned ego and egotism. Mm -hmm. Ego simply means I. It's a sense of self. I hope we've got egos. Oh, my goodness. If we didn't have egos, we'd never do anything. But egotism is a misuse or a misunderstanding of the ego. It's seeing, it's believing that one is something they're not. That's egotism. Ego is a recognition of I am that I am. And, and then that's one of the things in the Course in Miracles that I didn't like, was that it kept putting the ego down. The ego is this and the ego is that. Ego is not. Egotism is. That's the misuse of the ego. God created everything, and everything is good, and everything can be misused, whether it's religion, beliefs, no matter what, or something material. I mean, God created my last glass of wine, but if I have to have ten glasses of wine, I'm misusing the gift. In your journeys around the world, um, you took a close look at the Eastern religions. Um, and you compared them with the Judeo-Christian sort of a foundation that the Western world has. What did you find to be the useful similarities? What did you find to be the the sort of um, common truths between those worlds? I mean, if you're looking at things like Buddhism, and you look what? at the 
I mean, yeah, not talking about individuals, but talking about the whole collective thing. Right. We in the Western world were more objective. We wanted results. Therefore, we built a scientific society that was way in advance of, until now, the Orientals. The Orientals were more subjective. They were looking more for the, uh, the uh, spirit of uh, things, and they ignored the uh, material aspect, so they had the worst filth and the worst poverty and so forth. So now is the day when the, no longer is East and West, and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. Now they're coming together. So we have the uh, subjective to set the tone for the objective. And in Wilhelm is the I Ching, the introduction is written by Carl Jung. And Jung, it's a wonderful essay. And, um, and he says that the time was that they had the, uh, we had the material and they had the ritualistic. And now it was time that the two came together. Explaining that though throwing the I Ching was a action uh, like a, but nevertheless, it carried a subjective meaning. Could be used valuably if it was used not superstitiously. In um, in our show in past episodes, we've touched upon a really interesting historical character, Nikola Tesla, and uh, his many contributions to our technological reality today. What a lot of people don't realize, and it's something that you mentioned early on in the episode, Walter. Um, Tesla was a very uh, a certain part of his life probably when he was um, sort of in his, his middle age he was a very interested student of the uh, Vedic philosophy and, uh, and, and Vedanta now I, I think you actually brought that up earlier on in the show because it, it sort of ties right in with, um, with what you've been saying all along that you know, basically, that human nature is essentially divine in nature, uh-huh. and that uh, sort of the goal of us being alive is to realize that we're a divine entity. And and I, it's interesting because uh, uh, Tesla was somebody who you know was sort of a, the, the preeminent scientist of his age, and yet um, there was a side of him that I, I don't know that many people knew about or were even aware of. So, do you see then, Walter, that? Ultimately, in our world, in order for us to essentially evolve, do you see that the realms of what we would normally call religious thought and science are going to have to start to move back together? Do you think that maybe at some point they got separated and now they're going to have to come back together at a certain point? Well, I think they were separated, and I think they've they've come back together because, uh, you know, Einstein and 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 so many of them. For instance, who was it that invented the radio? McCormick. Well, that was. Well, see, interestingly enough, it was Tesla that actually really invented radio. Marconi built on his work, but then yeah, Marconi. I think was, yeah. Right, and, but it was really Tesla. Marconi, uh-huh. Marconi has said that he had spent his time trying to overcome the resistance of the ether. And then he found, don't overcome it, use it to carry the message. You know, and before he thought that he had to overcome obstruction. Mm-hmm. And then realized, no, use it. And, and so that was like a spiritual 
understanding. Yeah, no, there are some people who would say to you, well, he was actually copying on Tesla's riff, even in that regard. Um, uh -huh. but he might have been, I don't know. No, it was interesting, because actually Tesla was awarded, was posthumously awarded the patent for, the basic patent for radio, many years after it had been granted to Marconi, because, I mean, and, and history bears this out. Tesla was someone who not only felt that way about communication, but also about energy. He worked, he had, and this is in the early, early parts of the, the 20th century, he had wireless transmission of, of electricity happening in a way that, to my knowledge, has not, still not been replicated to this day. So, so you feel, though, that as we move forward into the future, Walter, that essentially, um, you know, because science really is in many ways has become and and I know I'll get in trouble for saying this but it's it's sort of become its own little fundamentalist religious movement yeah and and it kind of it completely wants to exclude sort of the, the spiritual aspect or component at the same time you know you you brought up christian science before um and I worry about that a little bit because I know I just uh, in spending some time with some family of mine, hearing about a very distant family member who is a believer in Christian Science broke her wrist and never had it set. I mean, so so obviously, right? There, there are extremes of all of this that are counterproductive. Well, uh, right? you know, Mary Baker Eddy was a nut. I mean, she her husband had to swing her in a swing because she had these migraine headaches. And even after she had established Christian Science, she would take codeine or something uh, and she was saying well if my head hurts how can i do a treatment i mean it's all crazy they're so transitional and when somebody brings it in to begin with uh they're they usually it comes through a faulty instrument to begin with but so but the answer really is you have dominion when you can use everything and not be used by anything use every experience in your life what is this telling me you know it's perfectly all right to have difficult times it's not all right to waste them and we waste them if we don't say well now what am i learning from this because our purpose is to expand consciousness constantly uh you know on that point walter i would you know i have to say and, and this might again might be a surprise for some of our audience but i know personally my, my personal philosophy about life is that we are here to learn and to collect stories. And I've always lived my life by, by those two guiding principles that uh, everything that's material, well, you, it stays here. This is, this is all on loan. But I think what you do take are the lessons that you've learned and the stories of how you've learned those lessons. And I have to say, for the past couple of hours, I am going to very much enjoy this memory of having spoken with you because uh, I think you have a lot to offer. Let me just say one more thing that's so important. Please. It, it, your whole life is what you give because all of your getting comes from your giving. So mm -hmm. the first thing you've got to think of all the time is what can I give? Give, give, give. I'll tell you what you can give right now, which is kind of a bad pun. Tell everybody your web address again so they can get in touch with you and learn more about the things that you're doing. Well, it's, the, the website is WalterStarcke.com, and it has all my books and a little history, and, and I put articles in that from time to time. Okay, so you keep it up. So even though you are at the bright young age of 89 years, and we hope you'll be around for another 89 years, and I wish that 
When I was 89, I will be half as intelligent, half as bright, half as smart as you are. That would、oh, be a great achievement. Oh, dear, you dear. Well, we all love each other. Okay. <laughs> Walter Starkey, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Powercast. Thank you. Thank you, Walter. The Powercast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Powercast.